Like he was out front setting the pace and we were amazed. We're like, look at him go. And then we're, and the others, the others around us are like freaking out. Like, what is he doing? Why is he? And, and then he reminded us, this is what, this is what I came to do. This is what's about to go down in Jerusalem. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, well, welcome back to the Take and Read Podcast. Pastor Chad here with Parker Smith. Hey, Parker, question. Did you happen to listen to episode 46? I sure did not. Okay, then we're okay. We can proceed as normal. Uh, There may or may not have been some things mentioned about you, and it's just, it's best that we just go forth. I was hanging out with Granger. Yeah, uh, and I think we're better off that way. Anyway, love you, buddy. How you doing? I'm great. It is cooling down here in Texas. That is a good thing. So, so I'd love to get you to just talk now that we we've had maybe a month or two, maybe a month and a half. You and I went to Uganda together, and uh, with a team, and got to do some some work there, uh, partnering with the local churches, pastors, uh, sharing the gospel in uh, regions and villages where uh, it needed to be shared. Now that you've been out of it for, you know, out of and removed from that trip, uh, I'd love to get some of the your thoughts or maybe how you talk about it or share it with other people. Like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it's interesting especially talking to uh, like non-believers who ask mm-hmm. about it, who are just genuinely curious about you know, what we were doing over there. And a lot of it is like, man, good for you guys. That's so awesome that you go and you just have this, this heart for people and it's all about philanthropy and it's all mm-hmm. about, uh, it, it's all about the things that you're doing for them just out of the goodness of your heart, which, you know, not to take away from that in any extent, but then the other part of me is like, no, you don't understand how crazy this is that we would actually go and do this. Because if you asked me about mission trips three years ago, I would have said the same thing. I'm like, man, some people just have the heart for that for whatever reason. And I do think that they do. And there are non-believers who just have that heart for philanthropy for whatever reason. But for me, it was just coming to this realization just to be real of you know after becoming a believer and you look you look around and you become what granger and i've talked about is you have an obsession with lost souls and it's Mm. just the realization that when we die if what this book in front of me says is true then everybody on this earth is going to go to one of two places forever depending on if they put their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins or not. Mm-hmm. And so as I, I, my heart and my soul were just awakened to that reality, I remember going and meeting with you in your office 
uh, in Texas and seeing this board that said missions on it. And it said all of the different missions that you guys were planning for the next, you know, however long, year and a half. And I remember seeing Uganda on there and just thinking, man, that would really stink to go (laughs) to Africa out of your way, away from your family. It would cost a lot of money and it would put you out of your routine. It would take you out of your work. And you wouldn't really make that big of a difference because like, what can you do in like 11 days Mm. and you got there, right? And so, uh, I I just remember my heart slowly coming to that realization, like I said before, of, of David Platt has been a a big inspiration to me and hearing him explain the original words of Christ, which were to go and make disciples of all the nations. And so coming to that realization, it's like, that that's our purpose. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. There's people perishing right now. And it's not about how many different uh, people you influence or the impact that you feel like you will or won't make. It's about going because he tells us to. And it's about, it's not about, uh, I, I read a book uh, called uh, Evangelism, Evangelism in the Gospel by Mark Dever while I was there. And it's not about the result of if people don't profess Christ, then it's a failure. It's you're going because he told us to, and because we get to mm-hmm. be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And our job is to share the good news of Christ. Uh, yeah. And it's not a failure if, if we don't get the perceived outcome that we're looking for, you know? So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that was just kind of my first thoughts on the whole process. Yeah. I mean, what you're speaking to is, is going to be a challenge probably the rest of your life as you interact with people that knew you before Christ, but are still friends and are still connected to you. As you share the why you do what you do, whether it's going on missions or the way that you interact with your wife or the way that you use your money, it's always going to start to be, you're going to feel that disconnect. It's going to feel awkward because the moment they ask you, you realize Wow, we're we're coming at this from such different perspectives. Yeah. How do I say this in a way that would even remotely make sense to you? And so you have to make that internal decision. Do I go into it all right now? Or do I just kind of let you have this superficial understanding and move on? Like that's gonna exist always. Like how much do I go into it? How much do I try to explain? It's like when I when I came back to Kalispell. I've interacted with some people that I knew when I was growing up here and I was not a believer. I did not walk with the Lord. And I remember talking with one group of people and they're like, so what do you do now? And I was like, "Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor in town. And they're like, Oh, that is so cool. Good for you. That's neat that you have that. And I was like, what neat that I have that. Like they just thought it was, Oh, Chad, he got religion and that's kind of his thing. And that's really cool for you. Like some people went into construction and and they have that. And that's really cool that they get to work with their hands and they get to build. And, and other people went into medicine or law or whatever, and that's their thing. And so it was just interesting to have it kind of relegated to, oh, that's a thing. And so as 
man, you interact with these friends and they're like, oh, cool, you you do good stuff for, for people. That's so nice. And you have philanthropy. That's so cool. But you and I know, man, it, it's it's really inconvenient. It's not a, I don't do this because it necessarily fills my cup. I do it because I love Christ. And there is, there's sacrifice involved and it is inconvenient and it does cost resources, but that's okay because all of that stuff comes from the Lord anyway. And so I'm okay with that. But yeah, it's, there's going to be that tension. So. Yeah. And, and just the, the shifting of desires in general, it's like, yeah, all that Mm -hmm. stuff is hard and it's super inconvenient, but I went because I wanted to not because of anything. It's not because of, I was like any kind of uh, display of my self will or discipline or love of others that comes from myself. You know, it just comes from the revelation. That's a gift from God to, realize you know what we're here for yeah and it's not even out of compulsion of well i better do this um because god's demanding this of me but it's it's really out of a desire and not even a a, an attempt to earn favor or keep favor and so that it can yeah that pendulum can swing but i think you're spot on that man when it when it's really truly done out of a desire because of what christ has done for you and you want to see others come to know that new life in Christ and that freedom and that liberation, man, there's, there's all kinds of stuff you're willing to do and sacrifice. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing, man. Uh, also, uh, you know, now you're, you're several months into married life. You got to go on a mission trip with your new wife. What was that like? It was just the travel and adventure and being in a different context and, Anything learned in that? I don't know. I feel like I knew her pretty well uh, going up to marriage. I knew I could just, I knew her heart. You know, people always say you want to travel with someone before you marry them and just kind of see them in that place. But I, we had just been so intentional with the way we were in our our dating Mm -hmm. that the minute I got on a knee, I knew that she was someone who would put others before herself, who's uh, gentle and faithful and kind and uh just really easy to get along with so it was great it was just an affirmation of what i already knew about her which was you know that whether we're in a jungle in africa and we're both crabby and lacking sleep like we're never gonna you know (laughs) we're not gonna turn on each other in a a, a long-term hurtful way you know it's just not gonna escalate to that point yeah that's real though that's good all right, my friend, we are gonna we're gonna do what we came to do. We're gonna take and we're gonna read the scriptures. We are in Mark chapter 10. Uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, this week. How about you? What are you in? I'm in the ESV as well. Okay. So we're both in the ESV. We're gonna be in uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And we're just going to make our way through just a couple of verses uh, because of this particular section of Scripture. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's uh, jump into this and, uh, and let's uh, take and let's read. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. 
And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Okay. So true to form, uh, we want to wrestle with what this says, first of all. Uh, and they were on the road, so it's referencing this this group that's with Jesus, uh, this band of, of brothers and some sisters probably, and they're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, what are some things that you notice or things that, man, maybe they need a little bit of explaining or maybe some of the context. Uh, uh, Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. What's that about? Yeah, we're going to, I, you know, when I was reading that, I thought that's an interesting way to put it, um, that we're given insight into what these, these groups were feeling based on the fact that Jesus was ahead of them. And we definitely need to try to figure out what that's about. They're coming off of a time of teaching where uh, he has just told them what they need to sacrifice. He's, he's been talking to that rich young man about who, who claimed to have, you know, what it must he do to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus is, is challenging him at a very crucial part of his own heart and desire that he needs to uh, give up all that he has to the poor and then come and follow Jesus and this is just too much. And so then he has this conversation with the disciples, whoever hasn't left mother, father, home, all that they, ha- and the disciples are like, we've done all that. We're, we're good to go. Um, and then he says the famous, but many who are first will be last and last will be first. And then it immediately follows after that. And they were on the road. So this group, he's talking, he's been talking with the disciples and there's clearly from the flow of the passage, there's like two groups here. There's, you've got Jesus who's out in front, then you've got the the 12 disciples or 12 apostles, and then there seems to be another group that's all along with them. And, and so there, it differentiates the experience of those two groups following Jesus, that he's walking ahead of them, and they, it seems to be referencing the disciples uh, or the apostles, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. So there's this group that was amazed the apostles, and then there's this other group that's afraid. So what is it about Jesus? Because we're told where he's headed, right? They're going up to Jerusalem. He's out in front, and one group's amazed at at the fact that he's, you know, I just, I think of this picture. They're all traveling on the road. It's now obvious where they're headed. They're going to Jerusalem. And here he is predicting a third time. This is the third time that he has told them, hmm. this is what the Son of Man is going to experience, and this is where he's going to experience it. So the first one comes in at the end of chapter 8, right after Peter has confessed, you are the Christ, you're, you're the Messiah. And then they experience the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. And then later in chapter 9, 
he does it again. He predicts that he's got to go, he's got to suffer and die. And so this now is the third time that he is explaining this. So I think to some degree, there is an awareness that at least the the 12 disciples have of what what's going to take place in Jerusalem. Uh, he's talked about the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, like they're going to persecute him um, and they're going to deliver him over to death. And so there must be something about that Jesus is out front. He's not dragging his feet. Mm-hmm. He's not kind of, oh man, here it comes. Like, here's the pregame. That's where we're headed. But he's like out front leading the charge, like setting the pace and just going headlong into this thing. Like, all right, let's get this on. And they're going, I can't believe it. Like he's told us twice now, that's where he's going to go and suffer. That's where he's going to go and die to whatever level they understand all of that. Like he's told them twice now and explained it to him and now explains it a third time. Like this is, remember, this is what's going to play out when we go here. Um, and so I think there's something about that that causes the amazement as well as the fear of those that are following him, that he's out front and he's not slowing down. He's like hard charging. He's like going into it. Like he's ready for it, which I think is interesting. Yeah. It's important to note his, his demeanor and the way that he, the way that he's carrying himself. It's like this, his disciples were amazed because he, like you said, he'd already told them what was about to happen. And they're just yeah. like, he's just leading the way. He, like, he's told us what's going to happen to him. And he's walking just with determination despite what is awaiting him. And it's like these other people behind him are, are they know something's about to happen, something big. Yeah. Yeah, and we're not told his emotional state. We just know his action, but we're told their emotional state, which is interesting. Like he, regardless of what he feels, he's obeying. He is doing the Father's will. He's doing what God has, the Father has has directed him and, and sent him to do, regardless of how he feels. And yet the disciples and the followers are, we're very aware of their emotional state in this. And there's maybe that's apprehension. Um, you know, they're, they're in a state of, wow, uh, this is, inc- you know, this is amazing. Look at him, look at him go. And, uh, you know, there's a, <clears throat> there's a phrase that I heard a, a few years ago that, I've really hung on to, and it's this idea of going into the storm. And I remember uh, several years ago, uh, before we moved up to Montana, we had traveled and done kind of the national park tour uh, of the West. We went and visited several national parks. And so you go through like Wyoming and Montana, and it's interesting because you can see cattle and and bison like coexisting in that in that habitat. So you you can see them out in the plains and you see them grazing and and doing life. And I learned that there's a way in which cows and bison respond differently to inclement weather. 
that when you're out in the west, the the storms will roll in from the west over the Rockies and then down into the plains. And these animals know intuitively that something something uh, bad is about to hit, like a, a weather system that is not going to be pleasant is about to hit. And so the way that the two respond is fascinating. Cows, cattle, when they see that big storm head coming over the mountains, will actually turn away from it and try to run away. And so they'll head east away from the storm, which is interesting because it prolongs their, they can't outrun the storm. So as they run away from it, they're running with it and they prolong their experience of the actual storm. Like they're in it for longer, even though they are trying to escape it. Bison actually respond the opposite. When they see a storm coming up over the mountains, they actually turn toward it and they run into it. Like they literally charge into the storm, which shortens the duration or the experience of it. They're like, let's just get this over with. Hmm. They go into it. It shortens their experience of the storm. And on the backside of the storm, it always churns up things that are of benefit. So it always kind of churns up foliage that they can eat and other things like that. And so it, it actually works out for their betterment. It's a shorter experience. They get to feed afterwards. So it's a fascinating way to think about the way that challenges or a potential suffering is about to occur. And there's almost this sense in which Jesus is going into the storm in this moment. Like he knows what has to happen. If he sits there and drags his feet and kind of hits delay, it's just going to prolong this inevitable. Like this is what he came to do. Um, and there's like a perfect timing that he has to all of this. There's so many times in which he tells people, Hey, don't tell anyone that you got healed. Don't, don't spread the news. And people start to identify who he is. And he's like, don't, yeah, you're, you got it right, but don't tell anybody. He strictly charges people over and over again. Don't tell. And so there's something about the timing where he knows the time has come and the timing is perfect. Anyway, thoughts. Yeah, I think that it's uh, pretty straightforward here in this next part. He tells them, taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So we have a, mm-hmm. what you call this, a prophetic word. Yeah, he's he's definitely foretelling this is what's about to play out. And it's the third time he's foretold this. And so he's he's aware. Why th- Why three times do you think? I know I was wondering that uh, if there's a significance to the repetition of three, there's certainly some some elements of three that occur throughout the scriptures. It even says here that after three days he will arise uh, from the grave. Um, you have you know three is Peter, James, and John. There's kind of an inner circle of three, and so there's something to the the number three that maybe plays out. Um, so I don't know specifically in this context if there's something to that, but there it's there seems to be every time that this happens, he has explained almost the 
the ethic of the kingdom of God is that those who will be first will be last. And he just says it in verse 31, right before this starts. And if you go back to the the episode in eight and in nine, where he does the same thing, his prediction or his foretelling of his suffering and death and resurrection, it's always coupled with an explanation that you, the son of, you know, suffering for the sake of others, uh, considering others more important than yourself, this, this ethic of God's kingdom and the kind of ordering of things is always accompanied with the fact that I'm going to demonstrate to you how that works. The first will be last. The last will be first. The son of man came, uh, you know, to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Like it's this repetition, like here's, here's the ethic of the kingdom. And then I'm going to demonstrate to you in, in my own life, how I'm doing this and how I'm perfecting this ethic. And then there's always this misstep or stumble on the part of the disciples. So then the first one, Jesus has just explained, this is what's going to take place. And that's when the episode, when Peter back in the end of chapter eight is like, no, to stop talking like that. No, no, you're, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. Stop. You're, you're going to sound like you're mad. And Jesus has to say, no, get behind me, Satan. Right. That's, and so there's this misstep where the disciples don't get it. And so this one, um, just a little bit of jumping ahead, but in verse 31, he says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He then foretells his death the third time. And then immediately after James and John come forward in verse 35, which we're not going to get into in 36, but they're basically like, Hey, when this thing all plays out, can we, can we be like the top dogs in heaven? Can we sit at your right hand when this is all over? Can we have this, the sweet spot? Can we be number one? And it's like, really? And so three times that happens. And so there is something to the repetition. There's something to uh, the way that Peter is teaching this through Mark's gospel uh, that, and the way that this is playing out in, in real history. Yeah. And we just don't get it. You, you know, we, th- I think that's just why he has to continually repeat it to these guys. Cause yeah, uh, they just, I mean, their minds are just already, like you said on, all right, Jesus is the man. Let's see what we can get out of this. Let's see if we can sit shotgun, get a front row yeah. seat of this thing. Uh, another thing that I, I was thinking about was before I was a believer and I, I was listening to, uh, guys like Jordan Peterson that are not believers, mm-hmm. but that study the Bible a lot. And I think where it gets dangerous is when you start to view the Bible out of context and make it about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so Jordan Peterson, I remember was referencing the verse where Jesus says, uh, you know, you need to uh, take up your cross. And this r- kind of reminds me of that, where Jesus is saying in this context, he's saying the son of man, will be delivered over to the chief priests. They will condemn him to death. And he's walking, leading the way to his own death. And yep. so kind of the non-believer secular world would say, this is symbolic for us. We should accept our own mortality and everyone should mm. bear their own, their own burden. And there is an element to this that is you should accept your own mortality and you should have 
you should live differently than others, knowing the faith that you have in Christ. But at the same time, like the context of this is like, you are not leading the way to Jerusalem in this story. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember getting to a, a place like philosophically where I was thinking, maybe this is all just symbolism and, and God in general is, is just seeking the highest good imaginable, accepting your own mortality and trying to find meaning out of this life rather than mm. like, and that got Jordan Peterson's the most intelligent. Uh, he, he speaks at the speed in which he thinks he can put things into, to words that I can't even right. imagine. But at the same time, he's not getting that this is Jesus Christ walking for the purpose of dying to bear the wrath that we deserve. It's the gospel playing out. It's not symbolic for us walking to Jerusalem in our own way. You know, I just, I just think that's so dangerous. And I remember being at a place in my life where I was thinking that I was better than Christians, almost thinking that people were taking it too literally. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It's, it can be minimized if we just simply think that this is a, a inspirational example for us to follow. We miss what's really happening. I think that's a great point. It, it is inspiring. Uh, and there certainly there is a, a sense in which Jesus's life is an example for us, but don't minimize what's happened here. Jesus, the son of God, God in flesh, historically walked that road in front of his disciples, knowing full well what Jerusalem was. Jerusalem was the place of his torture and ultimately his death, where like you said, he would take the wrath that we deserve once and for all. One final sacrifice. He'll do away with the sacrificial system. No more will sacrifices by priests be offered because he is the one sacrifice for all time for the many. And that's what he's getting ready to accomplish. He's also aware that he's going to a time where he will be separated from the Father. For the only time in all of history and all of existence, the Son and the Father will be separated. There will be a spiritual suffering as well as a physical suffering that Jesus will encounter for us. And that's what he's anticipating. And he is leading the charge. He's out in front. He's not in back. He's, he's going right into it. And it's just an amazing reminder uh, today. What, what do you think for his followers is he, he explains yet one more time, this is about, this is what's about to take place as he's leading from the front and they're amazed and others are afraid. How are they processing this? Do you think? Or how does this land for them? Probably associating. Probably go ahead. Uh, probably pretty disappointed in yeah. terms of when they left everything. And they leave their families, their jobs, everything they've known to follow this guy, and it's been what a couple of years. Mm. And then they're they're thinking like, I'm gonna live like a king for the rest of my life. This is the Messiah. Right. I'm gonna like which 
which army do you think I'm going to lead? Do you think he's going to make me a general or like, am I going to run the resources? (laughs) That's what I'm thinking back in my mind. I'm like, this is, this is the Christ. This is, you know, God in the flesh. This is what we've been waiting for, for thousands of years. And like, I'm dropping everything for this guy. And he says, I'm going to be mocked, spit on, flogged and killed. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is anticlimactic. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then you, you start to think, then what was Peter, what was his emotional and mental experience as he's recalling this for Mark to write down? Because we understand that this is Peter's teaching, and he's teaching the believers probably in, in Rome, and he's recalling this, and Mark is scribing it, right? He's, he's collecting Peter's teaching, and Peter's now at a place where he's recalling that walk, He's like, yeah, we were there. We went on up the road and man, Jesus was out front. Like he was out front setting the pace and we were amazed. We're like, look at him go. And then we're, and the others, the others around us are like freaking out. Like, what is he doing? Why is he? And, and then he reminded us, this is what, this is what I came to do. This is what's about to go down in Jerusalem. And so there's this growing awareness that they had. And as Peter's recalling it, he's he's now on the other side of the resurrection and ascension. And he's recalling this event in his own life where he was there and he watched this. And I just, that's powerful that he's able now to look back and understand what was happening and why those, why that significance of Jesus out front leading this charge was significant. Yeah. And it's just, I think, I don't know how this hits you, but as, as a follower of Christ today, I read this text right now and I think I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm his and I'm so glad that he, that he's out front that he's like going headlong into the storm for me in that moment, that historical event has profound and lasting impact on my life and my eternity, but also in the here and now, like to realize there is, I serve a Lord that knows suffering far better than I ever will and went headlong into it, knowing that it would produce life on the other end. And so I can just like Jesus, I can go into the storm because he, he's always out in front. And I don't know. I don't know if that's cliche, but man, it's powerful for me. Now, that's what I was going to say. My takeaway, you know, moving forward, what do we do with this now is that, you know, we serve and follow a God who came down to be with us worms, those pathetic mm. human beings that, that, continually turn our backs from him that continually i mean just go walk downtown new york city for five minutes and look what we've done with the gifts that he's he's given us Mm. and that he is is leading the way down here he's showing us how it's done there's people all around him with all sorts of emotion emotions there's people who are amazed there's people who are afraid there's people Mm -hmm. who are just on the edge of their seat because they know something big is about to happen. 
and he he leads the way he's patient with us he tells us over and over again what's going to happen even when we don't listen even Mm -hmm. when we don't understand and he just goes through not only does he come down to be with us pathetic humans but then he allows us to mock to spit can you i mean that's just Mm. one of the most it's interesting that he specifically says to be spit on just seems like one of the most disrespectful things that you can do to humans to just clear your throat and spit on someone's face uh Mm. and flogged and killed and then ultimately he ends it with in this passage he ends it with and then he'll arise yeah encouraging oh man that is encouraging there's the hope oh parker i love it brother this has been a powerful couple of verses um thanks for taking the time out of your day uh, to jump in here it's fun to know that you're in texas i'm in montana and we can still keep this conversation going so thanks for being here if you are tuning into the podcast uh and if this is one of your first times uh, welcome so glad to have you. Uh, this is just one uh, one iteration where we are two guys that truly believe this is the inspired Word of God. We believe what it says to be true. Uh, it has transformed our lives and our understanding of reality. Uh, we believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, that He physically lived, He physically died, and He physically rose again, and that He is going to return that he's coming back. And every day that he delays his return is an opportunity for us to bear witness to who he is and to help others realize there's life in him. Uh, As much as we may try to search for it in other things or other people or institutions, ultimately those things will all fail, but he won't. And we believe that wholeheartedly to the extent that we traveled around the other side of the world to Uganda to tell people. Uh, And so my prayer and my hope is that if you're tuning in for the first time and you've never considered uh, giving your life to him and trusting in him completely and fully for this life and the one to come, do so. Take and and read. that. We believe this is the inspired word of God. We believe this is his communication to us and that you will find in the scriptures a God who loves because he's demonstrated it perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ, what we just read about, that he was willing to suffer and die on our behalf. And so if you, um, yeah, if you want to email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com, if you have questions or just want to explore this idea of being a Christian even more, please email me. If you have a question for Parker, something that he may have said, you can email me. I'll get that to him. Uh, but we, we are... We want to see him made much of. We want to see people taking and reading the word of God because we think that it is of the utmost value and importance. And so, uh, Parker, any parting words? Amen. I have nothing to that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Uh, we'll, we'll see you again. And for those out there, go take and read the word of God.